listening to The Watchers, the show where two women from opposite ends of New Jersey watch TV and movies about friends. Christmas. <laughs> I forgot there was Christmas in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it like, fits for December. It's like we did it on purpose almost. I know, but we did it. There's a lot of Christmas in this movie. There is. That friends thing I used to do to my best friend when I was growing up all the time. Like, <laughs> I was kind of annoying but i would like <laughs> grab her face and just be like friends <laughs> we watched better off dead we watched better off dead 1985 john mm-hmm. cusack mm-hmm. written and directed by savage steve holland great name great name he was a child at the time i had no idea until i started doing research <laughs> for this movie he was 24 insane nobody should be able to do anything at 24 yeah, I think that some people might argue that he shouldn't have been able to do this movie at 24, but... This movie's good. I know. This movie's this movie... really good. I know, but John Cusack famously did not agree with that. Yeah, and reading stuff about him trying to walk it back now like he wasn't a total brat about it then is like, all right, John, just say yeah. you were a total brat about it then. It's fine. Apparently he walked out 10 minutes into the screening and didn't come back. Because he said it was stupid. Yeah. I think he thought it was going to be even darker, like, than it was. so funny. This movie's pretty dark. It's also very silly, and I'll bet I think John considers himself, despite his catalog, a pretty serious actor. Despite his catalog. I think it really seems to have uh, really kind of, like, fucked with Steve Holland, too. Like, John's reaction to it. Oh, Oh, yes, for sure. And then the run of three movies that he did, this one crazy summer, and what was the third one? You can tell how well it did. There was a third one right after it. Mm-hmm. My, uh, what's it called? Uh, I lost it. How I Got Into College That's was right. the third one. And those were like his only three like major films. Then after that, he went into to, like children's TV. And it's John, it's like pretty directly John Cusack's fault. Well, because well, I mean, he's it's I, also I, the critical reception's fault. Well, like this did not do well but in, I th- in the beginning. I guess my the like the story I'm telling myself about it is that he made these movies that didn't do well and that his lead hated being in. Right. Like I think like if you're in a band that the critics don't love, but you love being in it, and your bandmates love being in it, you might be in that band forever. Right. But if yeah, your but lead it's a lot cheaper is... to be in a band than it is to make. Uh, it's a metaphor, films. Jody. It's a metaphor. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, no, but I mean, this didn't do well in the box office. Imagine having your film career done by the time you're thirty. I know. I mean, he's been successful, mm-hmm. just not in movies. It's very strange. But yeah, like this didn't do well, and neither did the following two movies. So that was just kind of it. He says, though, that, like, Blockbuster is basically what saved his career and reputation. Video stores. so funny. Yeah. Have you seen... I've never seen How I Got Into College. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. you haven't either. Have you seen One Crazy Summer? I did a long time ago. Isn't that funny? That, like, like, in my head, One Crazy Summer is fine, and this movie is the best. Yeah. My housemate um, watched Better Off Dead with me for the first time last night and they love one crazy summer that's their movie so they were at the end of this i was waiting and at the end of this i was waiting for them to be like 
wow, I can't believe I spent so long not seeing this movie when it's clearly superior to One Crazy Summer. And they right. liked it. Um, but they were like, I, I One Crazy Summer is still. And I was like, yeah, it's probably like whichever one was your, whichever one imprinted on you as a child yeah. or you imprinted on is your yeah. movie. I think for me, this one, because it had like at least the hint of romance in it, <laughs> you know, appeals to like the Molly Ringwald side of me. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. This well, is not another... that I really, the romance is not a big part of this movie, but. No, but it's, uh, it, again, it's funny. It's not funny. It makes total sense that the movies you and I agree on that we have both seen a million times. It, this is also right in the middle. smack in the middle. It is yep. smack in the middle. Yep. Yeah. It's the, it's the uh, Venn diagram of yeah. John Candy and Molly Ringwald. It's a foolproof equation. It really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. So, uh. What's this movie about, Andrea? It's about Ski in the K-12. Um, this movie is about Lane Meyer, who is a teenager. Stalker. Yeah. He <laughs> I is, forgot how really uh, you were insane that is. allowed to be in the 80s. I know it's heightened yeah. in this movie because everything in this movie is heightened. Um, mm-hmm. It's This movie isn't explicitly a parody of teen rom-coms. I think it's right. more it's more considered a black comedy, and that's where it comes from. But it does take all of those tropes and just ratchets them up. So Lane yeah. is a teenage boy who has been dating Beth, um, and he, for six months, he is obsessed with her. Um, one of our first... Uh, one of our first indications of that is when he goes into his huge walk-in closet, by the way. That's a very large closet. Yeah. All of his clothes are hung on hangers that have Beth's face on them. And I think, it's... like, in 85, like, now I could do that at home pretty easily and it would, wouldn't take me that long. Um, but I feel like that was a big project. Well, uh, it's canon in this movie that everybody owns headshots of each other. I love that that's like currency. We're just Everyone has headshots of their partners, their potential partners, uh-huh. like it's just, you know, everyone's walking around with headshots it's handing them out to people. So funny. It's so bizarre. Anyway, so yeah. um he is also part of he's uh part of the ski or he's trying out anyway for the ski team at school and yes. he finds out that Beth is dumping him for the captain of the ski team who is a perfect 80s movie bully. His name is Stalin. Stalin, yeah. And he is like a combination of every 80s movie villain I've ever seen. Yeah. And he's got that 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 ski lodge voice. Yeah. And the, like, coiffed blonde uh-huh. hair. And it's the way yeah. his teeth come together is annoying. Everything about him. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that this time. Yeah. He's, his teeth are weird. He's got, well, he's got, like, rich, yuppie teeth. Um, <laughs> and uh, so Lane decides, well, first Lane decides, here's, I know that we're not supposed to be editorializing too much as we're doing the breakdown. Mm-hmm. They are very light with, and we have traced this is this is interesting. We have traced the way the movies we have watched talk about suicide. Yes. Um, and this movie, it's just a joke. It's just yep. a joke. Lane tries and fails. Lane considers killing himself many times. Um, he never intends to go through with it, though something gets in his way to almost kill him comically yeah. over and over again. Yeah. Um, I think there's three main attempted suicide mm-hmm. scenes. Yeah. Um, and... So he decides that 
he is either going to kill himself or win her back by skiing the K-12. The two the two ways that you cope with a breakup. Exactly. Everybody yeah. knows this. This is classic. Skiing contest or suicide. <laughs> One of the two. And so he is uh, sort of training with his friend Charles. Uh, In my head, his name was Booger in this, too. He's, he's, he's just always Booger. I can't. Um, I could not for the life of me remember his name in this movie. Cho Charles Demar. I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who wants to hold my clipboard? Uh... Um, and he is. They live in like a smallish town, I guess. And he is obsessed with getting drugs. So I don't think he's ever done any drugs. Um, he's doing like whipped cream whippets, and he thinks the mountain is covered in cocaine. I think he is yes. just. It's very you know small town. Anyway, at the same time. Uh, his neighbors across the street have taken in a French foreign exchange student who French <laughs> French <laughs> who appears to not speak any English, right? Um, and uh, is and then the I, I mean broad strokes the two of them meet and start a little romance. She helps him uh, be like come confident enough to ski the k-12 successfully she helps she him his camaro <laughs> in one day yeah uh, she real is... shiny at the end of that day it, yeah yeah well she's you know she's french and can do anything yeah. um she rules and uh i mean that's kind of that's like the plot then he does ski the k-12 beth probably would take him back but he has realized that he has feelings for monique and they drive off into the sunset together, and the movie ends with them at Dodger Stadium, um, which, which is the, the reason she came to the States in the first place. Yes. Um, she's obsessed with baseball. and um, Don't forget he has to fence Ricky for her honor oh, at the he end. He have to fence Ricky, who get the – so she's living in a, in a – with the She's basically been son. brought in as a sex slave. Yeah, she by like, the mother exactly she um is insistent that the two of them are gonna um that, that she's gonna solve her little creep son's uh woes and i mean that's the plot this movie is it's all about the weird stuff that populates the plot like i didn't even mention the paper boy yeah and he's i mean a, the plot is like boy loses girl boy tries to win back girl through skiing boy falls in love with you know, girl with more substance is tempted to go back to the first girl, ends up with the girl he's supposed to end up with. Right. You, you know, know, teen rom-com. In between, there's like hamburger animation and, uh, you know, Howard Cosell jokes and a kid on a bike that definitely should have died when he fell off the mountain. Uh-huh. And blue, like, yeah, a Terminator-style child who cannot be thwarted. Uh, yeah. And blue goop with raisins that crawls off of a plate. I forgot about that. And a, like I, f- <laughs> and a, I blocked out the f- a lot of the food stuff, I think, because I have a thing about that. There's so much food stuff. And a little brother who b- literally builds a rocket ship and takes off at the end. Like, there's always a little brother or a little sister. That's what I mean about this movie, especially yeah. watching it through the lens of this vocabulary we've been building. Because yeah. he is, in in a lot of ways, just like... The younger sibling. The precocious. In, yeah. I was specifically thinking of some kind of wonderful, but they're in, there's one in also, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Yep. Um, yep. I'm sure I'm forgetting others. They're just, yeah. but he's like the, the like heightened, absurd version of that. 
Yeah. He's yeah, there's always a, a little brother gun. and a little sister. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just the the surrealism that is just full on accepted in this movie is literally I don't know how I forgot. Like I didn't forget. But I don't think the focus of this movie for me was always the one-liners, the silliness. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of accepted that there happens to be like a claymation hamburger couple. Like, yep. you know, it and, didn't really phase me. Barney Rubble. And Barney Rubble wants to date Beth like everyone else. <laughs> everyone wants to date Beth, including the that, Flintstone character. That was the biggest laugh for me this time through. It's yeah. so funny. I... You know, I, I'm the you know part of this is not related to what I'm about to say. I, I'm a strange person. I think um, the like the things that speak to me tend to be a little bit weirder. And it's I don't I wasn't born that way. It's nature versus nurture. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. like I think the reason that the weirdness of this movie maybe didn't register until watching it now through the lens of we're going to talk about this with people who maybe haven't seen it, that right. all of that really popped up for me. Um, yeah. And it's because it just is like this. This is the baseline. Like we're talking about the movies that like kind of like formed who we are and like like so many of the movies we've talked about. I watched this movie when I was very young. It's like if you grow up in chaos, you don't necessarily recognize chaos the way other people do. I feel like it's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, this came out when I was 10. 1985, like I said. I was Um, negative one. Shut up. We were both cooking at the same time, me in this movie. Yeah. Um, Just to to put a finer point on what you just said about the sort of trends, like there was a little brother or little sister character in Legend of Billie Jean, Radio Flyer. Girls just want to have fun. Some kind of wonderful. Not in Pump Up the Volume. Oh, um, it's interesting. He should have a little sibling yeah. who's trying to get into the basement all the time. I know. But that movie was so serious about itself. That's that, like, true. That comic relief of the like nerdy little brother or sister wouldn't have worked. That's a good point. And then I would argue that in Real Genius, Mitch is the nerdy little brother. <laughs> but it's such a thing. It keeps coming back. Um, yeah. I think we should just off the top, just get this out of the way. Uh, we're not going to really talk much about Ricky in this movie. He's terrible in person as a human, as a character. Dan Schneider, who plays him. I was had... shocked when I realized who Ricky was. I totally didn't realize that he was Ricky. I don't know why it didn't occur to me. but Well, I don't think I've seen. It's been a few years since I've seen this movie. Um, yeah. Though I don't know that it has been so few that I didn't know who Dan Schneider was and what a fucking deplorable human being he is. But it's possible. I haven't seen it since. Yeah. Since those, like I'm saying rumors very lightly, but kind of came to light. Yeah. I I don't think that I had made the connection that like, it's not that uncommon of a name. Right. Like Dan, you know, like that it was the same person that played Ricky in this movie that um, is as creepy as the character he played. Worse, in um, fact. Worse, yeah, because he is in a position of power mm-hmm. over minors. So oh, we're God. just gonna, yeah, we're gonna. It, <laughs> we both read uh, Jeanette McCurdy's book. Um, Glad my mom died. Um, and he is not named in that book, but it's pretty widely accepted that he is the creator, as yeah. she refers to him yeah. in that book. So we're just gonna 
Put that aside. And I think he's one of those people where, like, it seems to be that every allegation has proven or will prove likely to be true. So, And that there's, like, it's one of those things where, like, one person came forward and everybody was like, well, yeah, we all knew he was a creep. It's like, great. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Good job protecting minors. Yeah. Nickelodeon famous for doing a good job yeah. protecting minors. Exactly. Anyway, so so fuck that yeah. guy. Fuck that guy. Yep. Um, We're going to move on. We kind of started to talk about this. The first thing that really hit me was how many surreal moments there are in this movie. Like the food moving, like crawling off the table. The And how accepted all of it is in the... Yeah. Because some of it feels like it's in Lane's... Also, he's got the best name of any 80... Like Lane Meyer. L- Lane Meyer. John yeah. Cusack gets good names because Lloyd Dobler is also a good oh, name. Oh, yeah. But, Lloyd Dobler is a great name. But yeah, Lane Meyer. Because um, some of it is in Lane's head, obviously. There, you know, the scene when yeah. he's um, drawing in the cafeteria and the pictures come to life and he's screaming oh, at it. I love that scene. It's very good. Um, Drawn by the writer-director, Savage D. Holland. Oh, that makes sense. went to CalArts for animation and then ended up getting into film that yeah that that makes sense like with the opening credits and and knowing one crazy summer has yep. like a similar feel um so some of that is in lane's head but then other stuff like his mom's cooking is, everyone's experiencing it yeah and everybody yeah. like they know her food is gross but i don't think they really like like when his food crawls away the well the first one is the bacon and oh her her explanation of why it looks like that is that she boiled it, yeah. which wouldn't make it green. Like, there is a little part of me that feels like, is this a movie where a town is over, like, is secretly <laughs> overcome by alien goo? And that <laughs> is what is say there were ghosts. leading to, no, no ghosts in this one, I don't think. But alien goo, maybe. <laughs> alien goo, yeah. Okay. And they can't see it. So when they're looking at the bacon, they're seeing gross boiled bacon, but they're not seeing the blue goo. Hmm. And only we are. And only we are. That seems very complicated. And it explains, but it explains so much about this movie. <laughs> I mean, an alien influence would explain a lot about mm-hmm. this movie. And for it's sure. why the younger brother is building the spaceship and the laser so he can go battle the aliens and save the town. Right. Right. You know what? I kind of buy it. Yeah. But like, that's what I mean about the surrealism. Like at the end, the space shuttle just takes off through mm-hmm. the roof of the house. Like... Nobody questions that. It's just part of it. Yeah. No, there's so many just blatantly accepted ridiculous moments. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that that kid's fall on his bicycle off the mountain (laughs) goes on for so long. He is so high up. Yeah. And he like bounces off of things and just like, and then he just gets up. Again, he's he's a Terminator style child. Is he an alien? He is either... An alien and therefore unkillable or maybe well no we never see anybody eat his mom's cooking do we no because i wonder if eating the goo makes you indestructible and maybe the paper boy maybe he ate it Mm -hmm. okay either way i think it could go either way i think so too (laughs) i I wrote a minute that kid is definitely dead (laughs) should be should be yeah yeah there's just so much that's not I, the unrelated the you said that the thing that got you this time was the barney on the tv 
that was your biggest laugh. Weirdly, my biggest laugh this time was Ricky chasing the balloon <laughs> at the dance. Yeah, that is very, It just, such a tiny little moment. It's I very silly. Yeah, I did clock died. that this time too. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and Ricky's mom, like. She's incredible. She's so good. She's. I really wanted her to be from Jersey. <laughs> I do have a Jersey connection for us. We're going to save it I for know, the end. I know. I'm excited because I don't have one. But I really wanted her to be, like, originally from Jersey. Yeah. Could have gone that way. Could have gone She's that from way. Ohio, uh, which, as we've discussed in the past, is, like, Midwest Jersey. Yeah. Certainly. The moms in this movie in general. Uh, what's her name? Um, Jenny, oh, yeah. Jenny Meyer. Kim, is that Kim Darby? Kim Darby, yeah. yeah. She was only 38 when this movie came out. I wondered why she looked so fucking young. They tried to make her look older. This and stuff didn't work. bums me out. This I stuff, know. I she was 38 and they you, made her into like a dowdy mom. Do you? Know, she's so lovable in this movie. I know. Um, she's but trying so hard. she's like a so young hard. hot woman and they were like making her look like, you know, She's only stereotypical like mom. 12 years older than... How old was... No, he was John, seventeen. He, he was he was actually pretty young, but still, she would have been very young when she had him. She was she would have been twenty when he was born. They're playing fa- again. Another thing about this movie, they are playing fast and loose with ages in this movie yeah. in general. Like we're just like Beth. I think Beth is twenty four, twenty five. The actor, um, what's her mm. name? Amanda Amanda Weiss, I think is yeah. her name. Um, she is she's in her mid twenties, and I don't. This isn't nice to say, but she could be. F- fucking 45 years old and i would not be surprised so could a lot of people in this movie playing teenagers yeah. it was very much of the time but still like i rem- when the movie started and they're in high school and you see like the cafeteria scene and with every- the basketball players <laughs> and everything i'm like adults they're all 40 uh-huh. like they're all 40 years old I-, I just don't think i wonder how much of that has to do with savage steve holland being so young and just not knowing like i don't know it was just so common at the time like yeah but it is six-year-olds playing teenagers crazy all over this movie i'm trying to decide how there are a couple of ways to read the fact everybody wants to date beth which in this movie is kind of funny and if you do look at this as a movie that is like pointing at teen rom-com tropes at the time and Mm -hmm. like and turning them up it is like like when um the the teacher that everybody loves it's it's vincent scavelli who he rules i love him yeah uh, yeah uh but mr. uh Bel- it's not belker but it's close to that it's like mr Berker? belding belker <laughs> belding mr kerber so so yeah so mr kerber he's in um, everything he's in everything but before we get into him because i do want to yeah. talk about him the actor because i love him but he keeps laying after class to ask if he can take beth out on a date yeah and it doesn't feel this is it weirdly doesn't feel predatory like it almost feels like it's like because it's in because we're all in on the joke yeah. right like the mailman asks a cartoon on the tv <laughs> that's asks. also taylor negron yeah 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 no it's it's a it's just right, it's part of a bit you're right it's exactly the same because here another other thing is all the surrealism and all of that you could make an argument 
that all of that stuff, I just said the opposite a few minutes ago, but that all of it is in Lane's head. And that yeah. to Lane, it's like this ski guy wants his ex-girlfriend. And so now he's feeling threatened by everybody around him. So yeah, Barney Rubble wants to date his girlfriend, the math teacher. So it can kind of, you can. We also don't think of her as a real person. No. Like she has no personality, you know, she's just sort of this avatar for like popular girl. Right. Which know? is a problem in teen movies yeah. especially of the time but not only of the time so again we can point to that as a i keep saying point to point to is my phrase this week i guess okay. um but we can look at that as like a fault of this film or as this film being aware of that being the genre in movies of the time yeah because she you know her whole personality is just like she's a a popularity uh avatar mm-hmm. i can't get over the headshot thing um just everybody had headshots yeah and we're trading them around and yeah she already had the ski instructor's headshot because that's yeah, how to, you to take out the picture of yeah. Lane and put it i know it's just everybody has everybody's handing out headshots left and right um other things in this movie um <laughs> should we oh gosh there's so many directions we could go with this. So let's stick with surrealism for a moment because the guy, the kid falls off the mountain. He's fine. Ricky's mom's face blows up to the point where the house explodes, but she just has a bandage on half her face for the rest of the movie that is constantly about to fall off. There should be so many dead people in this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, he, um, drives the car into a, a pool of water or a <laughs> pond of water. There's like a swan that ends up in the car with them. Like <laughs> there's so many little bits that I forgot about. It's this, I mean, it's because they're, it, that's the whole movie. It's the plot doesn't really matter all that much. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a structure around which to add bits, mm-hmm. which I guess I understand why if John Cusack thought that he was in a black comedy about, like dating movies and suicide and like to see it played so silly yeah i don't know what must it have looked like while they were shooting it though yeah Mm. very interested to know what he thought this movie well and i think steve holland does say like i don't know what he was seeing when we were shooting because it's not like it was that different from what they were actually working on it is it is a very young per. Well, it's not just a young person thing because I'm this way too. But I think like when he's in it, right? I imagine he's making the movie. He's not thinking about people watching it, and then he's in a because he was seeing the dailies too, apparently. Yeah. So he. I mean, the tone can be really kind of altered in editing in sure. some ways, but to, I still. mean, to an ex to an extent, they can't create something that's not there. Yeah, and so. I wonder if what really happened was he sat down with a bunch of people and heard them laughing at him and didn't and like then yeah. well he let's see in. he walked out at, in the first 10 minutes of the movie. So in the first 10 minutes of the movie oh. we have the opening cartoon. We see his bedroom covered in pictures of Beth. Right? Mm-hmm. Um we see the scene with the broken windows in the garage. The dad comes out wearing his mom's robe we see the breakfast scene with the bacon and we see let's see the heads on the hangers the cereal boxes we meet badger the brother i have 
huge news. What's that? What the fuck? Guess what's happening at Bergen Pack on January 26th of next, like, in like a, a month and a half. What? A screening of Better Off Dead with guess who? John, John Cusack? Cusack. What? He has uh, he has been making like you said. Yeah, but it's his so wishy washy where he's been like, well, I wouldn't want you know. I feel bad if Steve thinks I hate the movie. I didn't have anything right. against it. I was just a big baby who walked yeah. out during the screening and refused, and refused to talk about it and wouldn't even sign a fucking poster at a convention. Yeah. Like yeah. now you're. Wow. Maybe he is I feeling am... like he needs to be back in the. Uh... He did so shocked. Do I have in, to go to this? You might have to and report back. Yep. There are a handful of tickets left. There is, in fact, a front row oh my God. single seat for $235. <gasps> oh, God. Wow. Um, if that wasn't the beginning of the semester, I would totally come down. I can get one. I can get one further back for 55 bucks. If only we had that sock money, we could uh, write it off <laughs> as a business expense. God, I want to go so bad. It's here. Okay. I, ha- like I said I do have a Jersey connection, but here's another one. John Cusack is screening Better Off Dead, a movie he has famously hated for 30 years in Jersey next month. That's, that is a Jersey connection. Wow. For sure. Ooh, Brett Michaels is, is going to be there in four days. <laughs> It's come all the way back around because Bergen Pack, nobody cares about this, but Bergen Pack is located in Anglewood, New Jersey, which is the town I was born in. <laughs> there you go. There we go. All right. Brought well, the Jersey connection all the way back to literally me. Okay. John Cusack. John Cusack. Yeah. He hated the movie, loves it so much now, can't get enough of it, can't wait to share it with everybody next month. Wow. <laughs> He's so excited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of station wagons. A lot of station wagons. Love a good station wagon. It always feels good to see the cars in these movies. <laughs> I know does. that's a little thing, but I'm always like, mm, mm, sends does. me right back. My high school boyfriend had a yellow station wagon. We um, called it the yellow submarine. Amazing. My Nana Pop had a maroon one forever. Just nice for so long. Yeah, there was there was some good good cars in this movie mm-hmm. i mean the camaro is obviously the focus of it but i think the incidental cars are even better oh that tasty camaro yeah the tasty camaro yeah that she miraculously fixes in a day i will say okay one thing i do want to talk about in this movie is so we just talked about real genius right mm-hmm. oh side note the guy who plays the driver of the car who talks like howard cosell mm-hmm. was also in real genius which we oh, just watched. Interesting. Yeah. He was... Um, is he one of the buddies? He's one of the guys when they get to uh, the party with the beauty school students. Oh, uh, okay. Is He's standing next to Mitch in that scene. Oh, cool. I, don't, I can't remember where else he is in it, but if he's... Yeah. But I just... Either way. I like that. I like that little crossover. Yeah. Um, something that is... Just a side note from last week that I forgot to talk about that I wanted to very much um, is, did you read who Jordan uh, became the inspiration for? No. 
I don't think so. Were you a Chippendale Rescue Rangers fan at all? I mean, fan might be too strong of a word. Did I watch it? I think so, yes. So, but you probably didn't have a crush. Gadget wasn't one of your cartoon crutch- crutches. Wasn't one of your cartoon crushes then? No. Okay. Like any young person watching that show with a heart and a mind. <laughs> um, she is directly inspired by Jordan from um, Real Genius, Aww. which doesn't mean anything to you, but some of our no. listeners are freaking out right now. That's awesome. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything to me, but... So I do want to talk about Monique a little bit, though, Mm -hmm. because one thing we talked about last week was Jordan as a different type of female character than we had seen at the time. Right. (laughs) And Monique is also... Monique is too. Yes. I mean, her French accent notwithstanding, I think when I was a kid, I thought that was a real French accent. Hold on. Am I making news... Is she not? I know the actor isn't French. I know that. She's not, not a it. French exchange student? Oh, no. She is in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, like, that that was, like, what a French per- Like, I thought in my brain as a child uh, that that was a French person. Oh, no. Okay. I see. The yeah. actor is from Long Island. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. Diane Franklin, no, I, she's iconic. Yeah. I did uh, not as a child realize that that was not a real French accent. I see. I don't like think I thought sh- about it. I think I assumed if you had an accent in a movie, that's yeah. who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's but, a- oh, I was just going to say Monique is, I think, one of the reasons. Like, we, we've been talking a little bit about why we attached to, to certain movies, mm-hmm. right? And so how this one is sort of the in-between of the Molly Ringwald and the John Candy. But also, I think, that the movies that I attached to had this sort of... Tomboy is the wrong word, but we have talked about the tomboy thing before. Yeah. But like, That's what's kind of cool about Monique. She's not a... Because it would be right. easy to make this movie the girl next door who he's supposed to supposed to be in love with and she's a cool tomboy right we've seen that right and we've seen other examples of this type of character in like in jordan from last week in watts Mm -hmm. from some kind of wonderful but watts was like a little bit of a broken character Mm -hmm. and monique is not monique is put upon Mm -hmm. but monique is sort of like very much stands on her own yeah you know she fixes the car. She has a better arm than he does. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she comes to the U.S. to to go to Dodger Stadium. Like, as a kid who loved baseball. Uh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. L- like, really, really, really loved baseball and mm-hmm. fully understood the idea of, like, going to another country to, like, see. Like, I, I remember growing up and being like, oh, I live in America where all the baseball stadiums are. <laughs> she wants, She had to come here. Uh-huh. You know? And so, like, I related really hard to that part of this movie, like her tomboyness and her love of of baseball. And, like, I played softball, not well, but, Mm -hmm. like, you know, there was a brief period in my life where I was like, I'm going to be the first female baseball player. And it's like, (laughs) no, you're really not. You're You're not. not good. But, yeah. So having that, like, we have Beth who's just, like, a flat, like, Beth is as, as, uh, uninteresting as the cardboard cutout of her face (laughs) exactly but monique has uh 
Monique personality. Rules. She's rebellious. Yep. She's like, you know, she's she's fun and having fun, and yeah, she's like, yeah, she's she's in this movie for herself in a way that that considering the fact that she doesn't really talk until more than halfway through the movie and she doesn't they, even really show up much until halfway through the movie we yeah, see her once but yeah. i forgot how long it takes for her to kind of become a big part of it mm-hmm. and considering the fact that like she is kind of his like deus ex machina in a way yeah. like fixing the car and, and yeah. giving him the sh- she doesn't really teach him how to ski she gives the same advice that charles damar does um so that's, you know, it's not about that. But but despite all of that, she still does, we- like, feel like her own person in this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, like, she doesn't really need any of them. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? exactly. She doesn't need his approval. Like, mm-hmm. he falls in love with her and she's like, this is cool. Yep. I like you too. Wait, I'm gotta, a little sad yeah. that you might want to go back to your ex-girlfriend. Oh, you don't? Cool. cool. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Like... She's just, you know, on her own. Yeah, she rules. I love her. Um, I I know that I always say that I don't listen to podcasts about the movies we watch until after we watch the movies. And then I have broken that the last, I think, three weeks in a row. But mm-hmm. I what I did do was listen to an episode of a podcast that I have already listened to. Um, so I feel like that doesn't count as, do, <laughs> as like cheating. Um, and I, you know what I should say? I need to stop with that because yeah. it does like research is research. And I think like right. the genre, if I were it's writing no a book than reading an about better about off it. dead and exactly. I said, I didn't read any books about better off dead. I would right. be, I would fail that student. So absolutely. So maybe I need to ease up on that. Um, I just don't want anyone to, uh, to accuse me of podcast plagiarism, but I'm citing my source here, which is, have you listened <laughs> to, I was there too. Mm-mm. Oh, it's, it's a fantastic podcast. It's, you know, Matt Gorley. I know the name. He's uh, you know the name because he's attached to every comedian that that you and I like. He's um, Conan's producer on Conan O'Brien needs a friend, but he's been around forever. Okay. He does um, Super Ego, and he has a podcast called With Gorley and Rust with Paul Rust, where they talk about horror movies they like. Anyway, um, all of that to say, he has a fantastic mm-hmm. podcast called I Was There Too, where he mm-hmm. interviews people who have smaller parts in mm. huge movies and what it was okay. like to be on set and. Um, it uh last maybe like a year ago he did an episode with diane franklin um, oh nice and she loves better off dead apparently it's still like her favorite thing she's ever been in oh she loves i love monique. that when she goes to conventions she brings monique's jacket and lets people wear the jacket that's awesome she's like and sometimes people are like no 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 i can't and she's like no put the jacket on like um and she I apparently has a real love for dialect like her thing is voices and she okay that accent is really intentional she was like doing her like thicker more um authentic french accent and she was like it doesn't work for that movie and you might not be able to understand what monique was saying if i leaned in and did a really authentic Mm. french accent so apparently that was a choice which i think Mm. is fun and it sort of works for the weirdness of this movie that this yeah i mean super authenticity and realism is not the goal here exactly so so that was a long walk to get to the fact that it's uh that when you said when you started to say like you didn't realize that wasn't a real French accent what I thought you were saying was that is actually an American student pretending to be a French exchange student for some reason in the fiction of the film and I could see 
Like, I wouldn't have been shocked to realize I missed that. And that, like, maybe she's an alien. I mean, that makes she comes out of nowhere. We don't know anything about her back. She fixes everything. Is she? She's like a benevolent alien. Jody. Yeah. Wow. Is this whole movie that the aliens are actually here to try to help? Maybe. And now they're they're all like cute girls who like baseball. (laughs) Well, hold on. And now I'm ready for the (laughs) invasion. Sorry, that was terrible. Hi, for one. Welcome our new baseball overload. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, our new. uh... She does refer to them though as the Brooklyn Dodgers, which I they're not anymore. When did they? So all they moved in the sixties. I know. So maybe is she an alien? Is she an alien? And that just because she doesn't know takes a little. They didn't get the news that the Dodgers moved in like nineteen sixty. Or maybe she's one of those people like who are real put their foot down about it all i know about the brooklyn i think of them as the brooklyn dodgers because there's a band i love i'm the avalanche who are from new york and they have a song about the brooklyn dodgers so i always think of i always have to like be like no brooklyn dodgers they're in la because i don't follow baseball all i can say is that my dad was an enormous brooklyn dodgers fan Uh uh-huh and when they left we've talked about this when they left to go to la he could not root for the Giants. Uh-huh. No, not the Giants. He couldn't root for the Yankees and he couldn't root for there was another New York team at the time, I think. And so he did not have a team until the Mets started in nineteen sixty two because he needed a National League team, not an American League team. Fascinating. So yeah. So as someone who is a huge Brooklyn Dodgers fan, he did not become a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. He felt betrayed <laughs> by the fact that they left. I would so I mean waited for another New York National League team. That's a hundred percent would have done yeah. the same. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. You're, yeah, exactly. Your dad had a uh, conviction. He and... had integrity. Exactly. Exactly. Brooklyn Dodgers uh, is a great song by that band, by the way. Just a yeah. little shout out to the Avalanche. I love them so much. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, we never actually said the exact quote from the top of the mountain, but uh, go that way. Really, really fast. fast. If something gets in your way. Turn. Turn. <laughs> I've never been skiing, but I feel like that's enough yeah. to tell me how to do Here's it. what I know about skiing. That quote and pizza french fries for what your skis do. If you want to go fast, you oh. make pizza. If you want, or I mean, if you want to go fast, that. you make french fries. And if you want to slow down, you make pizza. I didn't even know that much. Why do I know that? I don't know. Skiing was what the rich kids did where I grew up. Oh, skiing is such a... That's the thing is like, in my head, I'm like, was this just a... Th- it Skiing was seemed like a bigger thing in the 80s also than it is now um and definitely is a rich person sport i think it's still uh, that's not that's not not a a cheap thing yeah but like what so we've talked on the other podcasts about the difference between like you know two towns over in new jersey we've Mm -hmm. kind of brought it up here too but like i grew up in saddlebrook i didn't know anyone that skied i don't think and then i moved to glen rock and there was like literally like a yearly ski trip it was organized oh, really? by the school, and I did not obviously go because I could not afford it. Yeah, but like I went from a non-skiing town to a skiing town. Also, there's a very important episode of Dawson's Creek that is uh, takes place over a ski trip. So, very important, of course, of course. But yeah, the skiing in this movie—I don't know. Lane is really bad at skiing, really good at skiing, both. It's the case because uh, he crushes it eventually. He does eventually on one ski too. So like that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And I think. I think he's supposed to be decent. 
Right. And like just the panic of flying down the mountain on one ski with the bike kid chasing him makes him even better. Uh huh. And it is that the K-12 is just really incredibly difficult to ski. Yes. Yeah. Unless you're Monique or Stalin. Right. Apparently both um, John Cusack and the guy that played Stalin did actually, I don't know if they were the ones in that. I don't think they were, I think there were stunt doubles for that scene, but did ski. They skied the Um, K-12. And that the director also tried and he got hurt. (laughs) Steve. Yeah. Savage Steve. Yeah. He, he crashed and ended up with stitches. Oh, funny. Yeah. Oh, Um, man. We, so speaking actually of Savage Steve Holland, we talked about how he had like three three movies and then kind of because they, none of them were big successes, he went into children's TV. Um, he went to CalArts um, because he was interested in animation. Um, do you know about the Henry Winkler of it all? I was just going to ask you that. Isn't I that cute? love this. I love, I love it this. too. Man, I love Henry Winkler so much. I know. He's the best. Tell me about Henry Winkler. So, um, okay. This is the Savage Steve Holland and Henry Winkler story. So Steve went to Cal Arts, um, and he says, because everyone else seemed to be interested in movies, he kind of picked up the urge by, like, osmosis. Um, one day he told – this is from an article in Fast Company. One day he told – a friend, the heartbreaking story of a birthday party he'd thrown as an 11-year-old, which nobody showed up to except a drunken clown. This sounds like a Chris Gethard story. I was going to say, it sounds, this feels like a jersey, like... Yeah. I just feel so, like it's a thing where it's like, yeah, 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 everybody in Jersey has had a party where nobody shows up but a drunk clown. But a drunken clown, yeah. So we get it, man. Yeah. But so that friend suggested he make the story into a movie, and he made a seven-minute short called My 11-Year-Old Birthday Party. Um, he borrowed equipment. Yeah, he borrowed equipment from the live-action department and realized he liked live-action better than animation. It played at some minor film festivals and then opened the inaugural LA Film Film Festival. And so the reason that Henry Winkler gets involved is because it ran right before um, Eating Raul, which was, like, a really anticipated film. And so all the, like, hip LA people were there, including Henry Winkler. And so Henry Winkler took him to lunch... And said that the film was really funny. Steve Holland was like, it's supposed to be sad. I know. <laughs> but but he thought it was hilarious. And so he said, he asked if he had any other sad stories about his life. And he was like, yeah, of course. So many. And so Henry Winkler gave him an office at Paramount. So To nice. work out of, to write so, his next movie. Can you imagine? I know. Just like making this movie on a whim. And then it gets yeah. picked up. I, what, I love this story. I know. I know. And it's I love so Henry sweet. Winkler. I know. He's the best. Yeah. So that's the Henry Winkler of it all. So he's been in our podcast twice because he's the lovely principal in uh, Scream as well. Yes. Yeah. He also, so he was involved with Encyclopedia Brown, Eek the Cat, an animated spinoff of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Um, he directed 13 episodes of Lizzie McGuire. And apparently credits Hillary Duff for the reason that he decided to have children. He said, um, I started having children late, and the reason why finally was Hillary Duff. Before I was working with her, I never wanted to have kids. And then I was like, this kid is so sweet. If there's a chance that a child could be as nice and adorable as this kid is, you know what, honey? We're going to have kids. Now I've got four. That's really sweet. 
So Hillary Duff is the reason that four children exist in this world. That's amazing. One more thing about Winkler, too, is that he's the one who put John Cusack in front of Savage Steve for the movie. Yes. Um, yes. He had so far not played any leading men. Right. He was only the nerd in the, mm-hmm. um, is it Fast Times that he was in before this? Uh, 16 Candles. No, 16 Candles. I'm sorry. Um but yeah, so and he this script had a lot of his own actual life in it. His actual girlfriend in high school left him for the captain of the ski team. Perfect. Apparently, uh, in I was looking at a different article, but he said that six years after the movie came out, his ex got in touch with him. Yeah. And said, I've been in therapy because I saw your movie and I had no idea. And she sent him cookies. I don't know. I don't think she needed to do that. No, I don't think so either. But that's a pretty good, if you feel guilty about something, send people cookies and then have your guilt be washed away. I think that's fine. He also apparently, like half jokingly, tried to kill himself. Yeah. Did you read that? Yeah, that he was, I think, I get the impression. So the story goes, he was in his garage with the mm-hmm. rope around his neck. He tied it to a water pipe and he was standing on a trash can. And my guess is it's a very like emotional teen thing to do to be like, no, I'm not going to try to kill myself, but I want to stand here and feel dramatic. Yeah. And then his mom and then the, or, and then the pipe broke. Yes. And it was a water pipe. Did I say that? Mm-hmm. And so his mom came in and he was, he's, I think he says I was, uh, basically drowning in a trash can yeah 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 she came in and started yelling at him for breaking the pipe which is what yeah <laughs> like yeah um that that's a really dark but funny scene too where in the movie that the parallel of that scene is his mom comes in and opens the garage door because she's vacuuming yeah. and knocks him off of his perch and yep. lane is hanging and she's yeah. oblivious Apparently, Steve Holland's first job was also at McDonald's, which is where the fast food part of it came from. That makes sense. Oh, pig burgers? Yeah. And his mom, uh, in real life, apparently gave him TV dinners for Christmas one year. What do you think that's about? Because, man, did that bum me out. (sighs) I mean, TV dinners were ubiquitous in the 80s. We ate them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Which now you look at them and it's like... Why were we all eating that? Like, and like obsessed with like kids cuisine. Yeah. That mom, I know we've already talked about her and we have moved outside of the movie, but she's so good when she invites them over for that French, di- French dinner. I love it. French fries. French, French dressing. French dressing. She's perfect. She's perfect. Yeah. yeah. She is delightful. Um, let's see. We don't have a Roger Ebert review of this movie, do we? No, we do have a New York Times review that was pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it did kind of, I mean, it did bomb at the box office. But apparently it tested really well. Did you read yes. about that? Yeah. The movie tested so well that they sent him on a college tour to screen the movie because with with that demographic, 18 to 25 or whatever, which is... Yeah. That's the demo people, you know, 18 to 34, yep. I think now, whatever, but is the demo they were chasing. Um, and it did so well that they sent Savage Steve Holland on a tour with the movie to screen it at colleges and talk students yeah. about it. And then it 
bombed. Did you find anything that that said what audiences' reactions, like, was it that it was too weird? I don't know. Um, But, yeah, it did not earn a lot of money until it became a video store regular um, It is fascinating the way some movies just don't, even if you expect them to, even if they've given every indication that they're going to. Yeah. They sometimes just don't pop. Yeah. And it's surprising given that there's literally like an Eddie Van Halen reference in it, which in 1985, I love that they actually had the hamburger playing the Eddie Van Halen guitar. So good. It was so perfect. Yeah. Good. Gee, I'm real sorry your mom blew up, Ricky. (laughs) Uh, So many good lines. Um, okay, can we talk about, uh, well, we talked about Kim Darby. Um, we talked about Diane Franklin and how she's from Long Island. Uh, Ricky's mom was played by Laura Waterbury. Um, Chuck Mitchell, who plays Rocco, was Porky's and Um. Porky's, like, in Porky's Revenge. Oh, Beth, real quick about um, Amanda Weiss. Mm-hmm. She was Freddy Krueger's first murder victim in A Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984. What an honor. And in a scene in Better Off Dead the, at the dance, there's a character that walks behind her wearing like a Freddy sweater. Funny. Yeah. Very fun. Fun and funny. Um, so we do have a, a Siskel and Ebert review, but it's from their show. We don't have a written Roger Ebert okay. review. They gave it a two thumbs down. Ooh. I'm going to play um, the audio here, Jody, for our listeners because it is I, – I love whenever these two get riled up. I, there are all those clips of them fighting and being mm-hmm. in disagreement, but I really love when they're in agreement and can just get, like, indignant together. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to yeah. play a bit of the review here. Just to take one little element in the film, this kid who rides by every day yeah. breaking the window is even in the last shot of the movie as if he is some kind of Fellini-esque alter oh, ego. For... Don't use the word Fellini in the... anywhere near this film. Uh, I'm sorry. I really must apologize <laughs> to Fellini and to Eugene for okay. doing that. This is a real bad movie, and I think you put your finger right on it when you said you could barely remember it. If I could, if I had totally forgotten it, I'd be a happy man. Very good. If I could have totally forgotten it, I'd be a happy man. Oh, my God. It's a new definition of a bad movie. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So nothing um, written up, but but it did make the show and they hated it. Well, they're not always right. No. And I wonder if you asked Ebert now, because sometimes he comes around on a movie. Like, yeah, that's true. You never know. I, I wonder. I mean, I know we can't ask him now, but it seems like the kind of movie where maybe looking back, he'd have a little more like sense of humor right. about it. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, I want to talk about E.G. Daly. Because this, to me, opened a huge, uh, opened up a huge, like, world mm-hmm. in learning this. I cannot believe I did not realize this. So, E.G. Daly, also known as Elizabeth Daly, is the singer at the dance mm-hmm. that sings the title song, Better Off Dead. Mm-hmm. Right? When I watched this movie, I loved her. Um, I loved her because I was into sort of like pop metal, right. you know, as, She's like a, as cool... a Jersey kid. Yeah, it's very like Lita Ford, you know. 
Um, it reminded me also of like in the opposite direction, Renee Zellweger's character in Empire Records, like that same voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you I know can that, like, hear that little girl pop kind uh-huh. of sound. But I loved, I loved her character, which her character isn't the character; she just sings at the dance. But the thing that blew me away is that I did not realize so many things about Eiji Daly. Very, very accomplished voice actor now, but most notably to me, she's fucking Dottie. Yeah. She's Dottie in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And I looked it up when these two came out, because they're both 85. Yep. This came out either two weeks before Pee-wee or two weeks after. I think it was after, but I could be wrong. Two weeks apart. crude of me to say. So when did they come out? Was it August? Yes. August 85. I just feel like... How do I say this? <laughs> my bi- like my okay. DNA... Better Off Dead came out two weeks after Pee-wee. Isn't it interesting that I was gestating while these movies were in <laughs> the ether? Do you know what I mean? Does that make I sense? Do. do you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I do like, understand what you're saying, yes. Like, I... But you are the alien baby of Better Off Dead and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I just think that, like, there's... And now I'm furious that I'm not a little older, that I couldn't have seen these two movies two weeks. You said two weeks apart mm-hmm. in the theater. Mm-hmm. What a time to be movie guy. I was 10. I was in a pretty good spot for it. It would have. It's although, again, better off dead, but I was, I mean, my brain was still goo the first time I saw these movies. So maybe it's actually, I wonder, I wonder if I'd be a slightly more normal. I wonder if I'd be more like you if I'd been a little <laughs> older when these movies came to me. I'd be a little more like. You're referring to me as slightly more normal than you? I don't know if that's been established. Slightly more. I don't know if that's been established, Andrea. (laughs) Anyway, um, this is so two weeks apart. Huge news. Yes. So E.G. Daly had this and her role as Dottie come out at the same time. Can you imagine? But almost as important, not as importantly, but also importantly, she is the voice of Tommy Pickles in Rugrats, Mm -hmm. which was not a show I was really into, but she was Buttercup. In the Powerpuff Girls, I can't. I can believe I didn't realize the woman at the high at the school dance yeah. was Elizabeth Daly. That I can understand. I do not know how I didn't know that Dottie is the voice of Tommy Fucking Pickles. Yeah, I know. I know. It's she is. She contains multitudes. Um, the last person we need to talk about, who we mentioned earlier in the episode, is uh, Vincent Scavelli. Oh yeah. Yes. He's incredible. incredible. He's the one teacher. over the cuckoo's nest. One flo- I mean, he's in uh, yeah. Ghost. Yep. Um, I, a million things. I know him most importantly, obviously, from this movie. But the the where he means the most to me is mm-hmm. in. Um, he's in one of my favorite and like most celebrated episodes of the X Files. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. in Humbug, which is the like circus. Uh, can I, I can say circus freaks, right? That's what the episode's about. Circus performers, um, the community <laughs> of circus performers. He's like the lead guy in that. Um, and he's also in a couple episodes of Buffy. He plays um, a like elder magic, like warlocky council member. Which is um, very much his vibe. Yeah. Yeah. He also authored three cookbooks what? and wrote on food for magazines and newspapers. And in 2001 received the James Beard Journalism Award. Is he the most fascinating person? Yes. 
Unfortunately, he died in 2005. Yeah. Something I didn't know about him is that he apparently moved to Italy in the later part of his life. And so all of the movie, like most of his movies from the last years of his life were in, were Italian Yeah, I think he movies. was Sicilian. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Super fascinating guy. Super small part in this movie, but like really memorable. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. another funny thing is that like he's everybody loves him, but he's not really he's it's funny because he's not doing anything to be the like cool hip teacher. They no, just, he, he tells him to read 70 pages and they're like, yay. But I kind of get it. It's just so it's such a weird it's one of those many, many that we, like many we won't even get to mention moments where it's like. Why? Mm-hmm. Why are you making this joke? It's hilarious, mm-hmm. but like, why? This didn't where, need to be here. Where did that come from? Yeah, but it's still so perfect. You just you just reminded me of the scene that in the classroom where he gets sent to the board with Beth, and then we get the flashback mm-hmm. of him and Beth having sex in the station, in the station wagon. wagon. And he says that thing I put on it broke. It broke. Do you yeah. think there was a rating issue where they weren't allowed to say co- where like saying the word condom? I mean, it was 1985. It was an issue that Who thing knows? I put Although on. I the the literal like difference between sort of the raciness in this versus what else was out at the time, like Porky's yeah. had been out. I mean, like I don't what, think so. I think was it was the just reading on this movie. Probably PG thirteen. Well, was PG thirteen a thing yet? But condom is a weird word to affect a rating, so I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm just curious about the choice of the word. I wonder if they thought using the word condom in that scene just wasn't funny. Maybe. Like the cut, like, I don't know. I just thought, I just, I I just thought that was a really curious choice of, of, uh, I mean, this is a movie that had a scene with a seal in it that was deleted. So (laughs) PG 13, just for the record, became a thing in 1984. Yeah. I don't know. That's just something that, you know. I know that's really nitpicky, but we are a movie rewatch podcast, so I feel like it's okay to be nitpicky. Yes. Right before we started recording, I found um, an Entertainment Weekly article about the DVD extras that never became a part of the Blu-ray. Part of this is because Steve Holland uh, doesn't own the rights to this movie anymore, I think, and they just kind of put stuff out without asking him. Or So do you think is the reason – I only did a little bit of reading about this part of it, and maybe you know more than I do. The movie was not available to stream. You, well, you, right. you weren't – that's not true. You couldn't buy it. You could not purchase the movie digitally to own. Once in a while, it would show up on like – like apparently it was streaming on Showtime for a little while. But in general, very difficult to stream and own this movie. Yeah. Um, and do you know if that has anything to do with Steve Holland? Maybe not when he did have the rights, not wanting it out there. I don't. I haven't seen anything about that. Yeah, I, I do couldn't. know that he does not um, have much to do with its releases mm-hmm. because basically in this article, it says like he works at Paramount now and he saw a sign for the Blu-ray coming out and he was like, wait a minute. He had never been approached to record like an extra directorial commentary oh, or anything. Bummer. I know. He said throughout the years, I've never even known who had the rights to it. Um, Fascinating. And it, he says every now and then someone will pop up and say, "Do you know who has the rights to it?" Because we're talking about maybe doing a remake of it. And he and I'm like, "Oh, please don't do that." The stupidity of the moment is what's key. It's not a great story or anything, you know. I mean, he's that sounds dismissive, but he's right. 
No, I know. He is right. What would the yeah. re... Cause, because the... I'm... I, a remake of this movie, this... what. This movie works because of how absurd it is mm-hmm. and because of all those surreal moments you talked about. And because it's 1985. And if you remake this movie and include all that surreal stuff, it then it should then you're just then you, you like what is the what is the update of that look like? Yeah. It's so time dependent yeah, on like the totally. it's so context dependent. He said, it's sort of like my baby that got taken away when I went to film prison. No one liked Better Off Dead when it first came out. So they just took this movie away and it's been out there in the ether and it just shows up every now and then in a new box. That's so, and again, a lot of this, because I think too, one of the things is the the movie bombed and then uh, One Crazy Summer was already in production to some degree, Mm -hmm. but they pulled back on it so much of the marketing of that movie so that movie was also destined to fail Mm -hmm. and i wonder if they hadn't done that right i wonder if one crazy summer would have gotten been a little bigger yeah it it did better than it despite that did better than better off dead so i wonder how much better right it was like by three million dollars but that's interesting considering how much they put behind better off dead yeah and it still did poorly that a movie that did better slightly better than better off dead without really any support what that would have been like right i mean this this definitely feels to me like a movie written by a 24 year old though and that like uh i I don't know it did test really well yeah Um, with people of that same with people of that age yeah i mentioned there were some deleted scenes Mm -hmm. i am dying to see these are I they have to tell you are they not anywhere online are they only i do on not there? believe they are um okay so the first one i'm so excited i really hope that i can find this someday so lane plays a saxophone in this movie right mm-hmm. in his original script the only song that Lane could play was the theme song from the show Flipper. Perfect. And so there's a scene of him in music class where the teacher noticed he's not playing the song everyone else is playing, but he's playing the theme song to Flipper. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And then it gets better. Everyone is looking at him like he's an idiot. This is from the Entertainment Weekly article. Everyone's looking at him like an idiot, but then you cut to someone clapping and it's a seal. Perfect for this movie. Why would you not include that? It's incredible. Do we ever see him play the saxophone in this movie? Yeah, at the uh, restaurant scene when it's their date night. Right. He plays right. it for her. That's right. Yeah. Um, there's one other that I also really want want to see. Um, so that's just the absurdity of this is so good. Okay. So at some point Lane is talking to Monique and says his mom, my mom got into this really weird cult and she's all better now or something. But then the, he dissolves in the script. He dissolves to her, the mom in an airport. And she was in the cult of Gumby. She was in a Gumby suit, handing out leaflets. Remember? Remember? 
I'm so sad these two scenes don't exist. Remember when I talked about last week Napoleon Dynamite ushering in that like random XD, the oversaturation of like totally random humor? Yeah. Better Off Dead is the precursor to that. I agree. 100%. Like, it has 100%. It it has the like a seal clapping for that's, for Lane playing the sax that and only is being able to play the theme song from Flipper. So funny. Like that's a perfect joke. Like if you random don't, gags. If you don't think that's funny listeners, we are not the same kind of person because it's it, so funny. That is so funny. Why is there it's a seal so at their school? So funny. And of course the seal loves it. Seal's going to love it. Of course. Yeah. And his mom was in the cult of Gumby. This is not like they're just so absurd, amazing. The only other thing that they mentioned that changed was that originally uh, Charles DeMar also asked if he could take out Beth. And then they realized that it was too sad for him to not have one friend. Yeah. I was not going to try to date his ex-girlfriend. I like that that Charles DeMar is, I mean, he's like a, he's a mess, but he's like a good friend. He really is. He's like super supportive and he wants Lane to succeed. Can I say something without people getting mad? Oh no! Not booger, but something about something about Charles. It Charles, just, yeah. This time Is it the through, top hat? maybe it's the top hat. He's just marching to his own drummer. That's he another looks one like of a those Dickens things. Character. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's in a Dickens story. He really does. <laughs> oh, he's, he's got so, muppet he's... energy. He does have muppet energy. He's so likable in this movie, and mm-hmm. he's so not in other movies that I've seen him in, but. The my favorite scene actually of him in this movie is when um Stalin mm-hmm. comes up to them in the cafeteria and starts making the joke about how like, oh, you know, you've got to shave your girlfriend more. Like it's like a homophobic joke about right, him and yeah. Lane. And instead of like having any real reaction, he just laughs so hard. Like it is the absolute funniest thing he's ever heard in his life. Yeah. To the point where like he comes up to him in a later scene and is and is still laughing and yeah. is like shaving. Ah! And, like just cracks <laughs> up the whole time. That is just such a it's such a funny reaction. Mm-hmm. That's all the trivia that I've got about it, but I need to see the seal scene. I know. Oh, you know who else is a cool girl in this movie? The lawyer's daughter that his dad sets him up on a date with. And she's yeah. like, well, I'm, I'm yeah. definitely going to order double desserts. And she tallies yeah. it up. And yeah. she is not. Because you think when he goes to pick her up, Lane has a weird. This is. This was for the first half of this conversation. Lane is the most. He is like at times so insecure. And and then other times he has such an overinflated ego when he's like, there's a scene with the basketball team when he's like, yeah. she'd be thrilled, whatever. She'd jump at the chance to date me. And then when he goes to pick up the nerd girl mm-hmm. uh, with the antenna thing on her face, he says she's got headgear. Yes. Um, he goes and he's like, you, th- you think what's going to happen is this nerd is going to be obsessed with him. Right. And like he's going to have to go on this awful date with this like weird nerd girl, but she wants nothing to do with him. She yeah. gets him to give her $13 for his half of the date. Yeah. Um and and then she goes on her merry way and we never hear from her again and Lane is made a fool of and I love that. Um yeah. 
Did you yeah, think he's really the villain of this movie? I yeah, he, say. yeah, yeah, he really kind he's of is. He's a stalker who, like, is redeemed by a, like, spunky female character mm-hmm. that I guess makes him a better person. I don't know. He's I don't know. terrible, though. And then the other terrible, Ricky. Did you think at the end of the movie, um, when. So Ricky is bested in their fencing scene and then mm-hmm. a hand reaches out to him. Mm-hmm. I was expecting, again, I've seen this movie so many times, but this character, both of these characters are so minor. I was expecting when they cut to who it was helping him up, it was going to be the that girl. girl. But it's just a different nerd. Yeah. Yeah. I know that that part was, I, I couldn't really figure out the reason for that other than just a way for Ricky to like leave his mom behind. Right. To tie up And that. walk away. Yeah, I think that's I think that's all that is. Just an extra yeah. little comedy, quote unquote. I don't know that it's very funny, but beat. That fencing scene is great, though. <laughs> it's really you know. funny. This movie has a few like tacked on like codas. You know, it's like he wins the race. He he goes off with Monique. We think that's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Nope. Ricky comes back. They have their fencing scene. That's the end of the movie. Nope. Dodger Stadium. That's the end of the movie. Nope. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to have the, sh- the space shuttle taking off. Which really reveals everything about the alien invasion that makes right. the whole rest of this movie come together. Right, 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 right. I read something about um, the Dodger Stadium ending. I think it was I think it was the writer that said, like, because it's not explained how they get into Dodger Stadium or any of that. And he's like, in my mind, like, Monique can do anything. So she probably picked the locks and they got in that yeah. way. Yeah, that makes which, sense. Which that tracks. Alien technology can do that. I'm not surprised. Oh, apparently the studio wanted the title of this movie to be out on a limb. Because they had that on a list of approved titles. Out and on he a had limb. To, it ended up being a Matthew Broderick movie. Out on a limb? I know, it makes no sense. Better Off Dead makes sense, what with the trying to die all the time, at least. Yeah. So he won the fight and got the title he wanted. But then... One Crazy Summer was titled by the studio. He had actually titled it something like What I Did on My Summer Vacation or something. Hmm. He said, they made me call it One Crazy Summer because they wanted the audience to know exactly what they were in for. I was like, that's like calling a Woody Allen movie one neurotic New York Jewish guy. (laughs) (laughs) It is going to make me sad for a very long time that I can't see that deleted scene of the... uh, seal clapping i think that's all i've got i just really i love how stupid this movie is i love the full-on absurdity of like the food crawling off the table Mm -hmm. like you like raisins apparently when they were see filming the scene where she like is spooning the glop onto the table Uh they had to film it like over 25 times because everybody was cracking up hysterically That's except insane. her she kept a straight face every single time perfect constant yeah. professional but like people were like just having the giggles like crazy because it was so dumb that's amazing diane franklin said i was like a little sour on john cusack reading about what a grump he was about this movie but yeah. apparently on set he was perfectly fine and she said he was lovely and they had a great time together and she remembers him being very sweet and so so, Ken, I yeah. do, I, I think he didn't realize, he didn't start to feel embarrassed about this movie until he was in a room with other people watching it. Yeah, that's a bummer. Mm-hmm. 
But now you can go to Bergen Pack and see him talk about it. I'm going to say, how dare you, you wishy-washy yeah. baby. You should go and just stand there in the front and yell at him. Uh-huh. Get that front row seat are? for $200. That's right. Um, yeah. Are you ready for a Jersey connection? Yes. Oh, my God. I'm so ready. This is. What is it? This is a. I am way more excited about. I knew immediately what my Jersey connection was for this movie. It is going to matter to me and like maybe two of our listeners. Rick um, from Bergenfield, if you're listening, this one's for you as well. Obviously, obviously, our Jersey connection is the pop punk band Lane Meyer. They're okay. All one word, Lane Meyer. Um, okay. They were slash are a pop punk band from the like late 90s, early 2000s, who I saw a handful of times. I have heard of them. I'm not. Yeah, oblivious. They're, they're great. I love them. Um, that's, and that's awesome. They have the best band name, and they are uh, true pop punk defenders to this day. I have two favorite things about them. I have three. I actually have a new favorite thing about them. I have three favorite things about them that are all Jersey related. Um, one is Mike Doyle from the band has one of my favorite podcasts. There's a podcast called This Was the Scene, which mm. started as like an interview podcast of people in the jersey pop punk scene from that time and nice. it has since branched out and now it's just like um interviews with people who either affected or were affected by the pop punk scene of new jersey geth did a really great episode um, nice with them uh, tons of people have been on it. it's it's if you're into pop punk at all even if jersey isn't your like your home base it's so worth a listen it's it's incredible i love it very much so that's one of my three favorite things um my second of three favorite things is that so much of their merchandise is just them taking midtown merch and reskinning it as lane meyer merch and then like tagging the guys in midtown to mess with them about it it makes me like midtown My favorite one is Midtown has a shirt. Midtown saves is like a very, it's like a Midtown phrase. Like if you like Midtown, that's, I I have more than one shirt that says Midtown saves. And they have a shirt that is the exact same font and color scheme. And it says Lane Meyer slays. (laughs) That's great. That's I'm so great. sorry, listeners. I said to, to my housemate upstairs, I was like, poor Jody and our listeners. Like, this is just for me and I have to do it. I just. It's totally fine. It makes me very I happy. I support you. The third thing is, and this is maybe more interesting to people who aren't, who don't have like obsessive um, New Jersey pop punk uh, history knowledge, but are aware of like a band. So uh, the Gaslight Anthem, which is mm-hmm. Brian Fallon's band, mm-hmm. um, before Brian Fallon was in the Gaslight Anthem, he for a very short period of time was in Lane Meyer. Nice. Um, and um, I today just heard for the first time, I think, I. I don't, who knows, but I think I just heard for the first time on the um, NJ Pop Punk Archives, shout out to um, mm-hmm. uh, New Jersey is the World Friend family, um, extended New Jersey is the World family, uh, Joe Polito, who has collected so much music from... What an incredible archive that is. It is. It's music and show flyers, like ones that I just, like, I remember having. Like, he is just, uh, what's the word? He's doing the, the Lord's work. Like, truly. Um, I heard a song that from Laid Meyer when Brian Fallon was still on it. And it is very interesting to hear him just sing over a straight pop punk track. 
so I'll link to this was the scene and uh, Lane Meyer's social media and that specific <laughs> track with Brian Fallon. So if you want to do a little New Jersey pop punk deep dive, you've got some. Why would you not want to do exactly, that? Exactly. Exactly. Some resources um, to do yeah. that. Yeah. So shout out That's Lane Meyer. Awesome. Um, That's awesome. Shout out. Uh, this was a scene podcast. Shout out Joe Polito. Shout out NJ Pop Punk Arc. <laughs> I think that's everything. That's awesome. I love that Jersey connection. I think that's my favorite Jersey connection we've had. I mean, it's an after the fact one that doesn't really have to do with the movie, but it's still really good. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, what a movie. What a movie. What do we do now? Talk about next week. We talk about next week's movie. So our movie for next week technically is your movie, but all of these, as we have spoken about before, are our movies Mm -hmm. that we have avoided talking about because we've both seen them mm-hmm. we i think collectively agreed that we couldn't let this month go by without doing a kevin smith movie totally uh so why don't you tell us which one we're gonna watch we're gonna watch chasing amy we, i of, i mean i love all of i love i can't say i love all of kevin smith's movies many of kevin smith's movies are very important to me yes we can't not watch the movie about a queer woman from new jersey on yes. our queer women from new jersey podcast right <laughs> like a lot of people talk about their and we have talked about this idea of your like early queer awakening kind of movies or whatever mm-hmm. um and i you know we've talked about how there's this thing about queer people seeing queer themes in movies that aren't queer because we didn't have a lot of representation mm-hmm This was the first movie that I saw that depicted a bisexual woman in any real human way. Mm -hmm. Like, that wasn't sort of, like, over-the-top sexy, like, you know, the slutty bi woman, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. All these, like, this was, like, a real movie about what could have been a real person in a real place Mm -hmm. who happened to be bisexual, and that was, like, a part of the movie. Right. So... When we were talking about which Kevin Smith movie to pick, I think that was the reason that this one ended up as the top choice. Not because yeah. it's like the best one, but because it's the one that relates the most to what we talk about exactly. already. Exactly. Yep. I'm excited to talk about it. I am too. Where can we, where can we watch it? Oh, Hold great I didn't push. look that up. Chasing Amy. YouTube for seven nine three seventy nine. Amazon Prime for three seventy nine. Free on Pluto TV. Oh, there you go. I'm so excited. The goatee in this movie is is a character of its own. Yeah, it's not great. It is not great. Yeah, so next week we'll be watching Chasing Amy. You can find it all kinds of places. In the meantime, you can find us at WatchersPodNJ on Instagram. You can email us, WatchersPodNJ at Gmail. Um, you can find Jody at Jody underscore Mim on Instagram. I'm at AQ, Andrea Q on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you in Jersey. We will see you in Jersey.